They say money can't buy you happiness. This certainly wasn't true for Patrizia Reggiani. When she married the heir to the Gucci fashion empire, she went from a desperate social climber to a bona fide social light. Her days were an interlaced double G type of dream. She rubbed shoulders with Milan's fashion elite, partied with the Kennedys in New York, and jet-setted all over the world. Soon, she was known to all as Lady Gucci. But one day, she awoke to a sobering reality. Her husband wanted a divorce. Even worse, he wanted to strip Patrizia of his family name. And for that, she took him for everything he was worth. Namely, his life. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. This is a special crossover episode of Female Criminals and Crimes of Passion. History has seen its fair share of women in trouble with the law, but whether or not they were all criminals is sometimes open to interpretation. This is the show where we cover the full spectrum of women behaving badly. Today, I'm here with my co-host, Lainey Hobbs. Hi, everyone. You can find episodes of Female Criminals, Crimes of Passion, and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we're covering the rags-to-riches story of Patrizia Reggiani, a striking, pint-sized beauty who married into one of the most luxurious leather goods and fashion empires in the world. But when the passionate spark between her and her husband fizzled out, Patrizia demanded a lot more than a fat divorce settlement. She wanted blood. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Our story begins in the small town of Modena. Once a sleepy suburb of northern Italy, it was reminiscent of the good old Shakespearean days. Today, the town is known for the production of Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and Maseratis. Only our Juliet doesn't come from a world of fast cars or fast money. At least, not initially. Patrizia Reggiani was born Patrizia Martinelli in December of 1948. Her mother, Silvana, came from humble beginnings and worked as a dishwasher. Patrizia's father, well, we're not too sure who he was. What we do know is that in 1956, Fernando Reggiani, a fabulously wealthy trucking juggernaut, invited seven-year-old Patrizia and her mother to live with him in the bustling city of Milan. At some point, he asked Silvana to be his wife and adopted Patrizia as his daughter. All of a sudden, Patrizia started eating at the hottest restaurants, wearing the finest clothes and attending the best schools. She enrolled in the Collegio delle Fanciulle, an all-girls school for Milan's elite. But even amongst her very wealthy and well-pedigreed classmates, Patrizia's taste for luxury goods stood out. At 15, she strutted the hallways in a mink coat, and at 18, she zipped around Italy's cobblestone streets in a flashy sports car. Of course, this was all thanks to Fernando. He could never say no to his stepdaughter. Whatever she wanted, he made sure she got. And Patrizia loved him for it. She was the quintessential daddy's girl. 
Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please keep in mind that Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. Thanks, Lainey. According to clinical psychologist Dr. Sherry Campbell, this type of unhealthy father-daughter dynamic often leads to a phenomenon known as enmeshment, where personal boundaries are not only unclear, they're sometimes non-existent. From a young age, daddy's girls are taught that their opinions are just as, if not more, important than the adults in their lives. The problem is that this isn't something that continues on into adulthood. There will inevitably come a time and a place when someone challenges a daddy's girl. When this happens, it often puts her ego and self-worth into question. But given the lack of discipline and guidance she experienced as a child, a daddy's girl will often find it difficult to manage their emotions. As a result, she has a higher likelihood of troubled relationships, depression, anxiety, addiction, and low self-esteem. And in order to avoid such an emotional blow, she may become a consummate show-off who thrives on provoking reactions in others to fuel her ego and sense of self. Basically, everyone in her life is used to serving as a mirror for her specialness. But not everyone saw the same image Patrizia was hoping to convey. Some of her schoolmates noticed her outlandish ways and started talking behind her back. Sure, her stepfather made a ton of money, but the way she blew through it was sort of trashy. It only highlighted the fact that the Rajanis were cut from a different cloth. Simply put, they didn't fit in with the rest of Milan's high society. When Patrizia heard that the other girls were gossiping about her, her fragile ego was reportedly crushed. She came to her mother in tears. She didn't understand why her classmates were being so mean. Unlike Fernando, Silvana refused to coddle her daughter. She told Patrizia to be strong and reminded her how far the two had come. From Modena to Milan, they were now a part of the upper class. New money or not, they had tons of it. And that was nothing to be ashamed of. With that important life lesson, Patrizia became unapologetic about living her best life. While many of her peers opted for a more demure and conservative look, she preferred to stand out. To highlight her violet eyes, she applied a strip of false lashes, a thick coat of mascara, and heavy liner along her lids. To augment her petite frame, she wore sky-high heels and teased her reddish-brown locks. And to attract the right kind of attention, she accessorized her barely-there outfits with her fleet of mink coats and jewels. Needless to say, it was hard to overlook Patrizia. In fact, by her early 20s, a string of men were pining after her. Most, if not all, were from affluent backgrounds. And just like her, they drove fast cars, wore high-end luxury brands, and had an appreciation for the finer things. But remember, thanks to her stepfather, Patrizia already had a fat bank account. Sure, money was important, but what she really wanted was a man who could turn her from new money into a respectable lady. And to do that, she needed a guy with a reputable family name. Fortunately, it didn't take too long for her to meet Mr. Wright. In November of 1970, when Patrizia was 21, she attended a friend's debutante party. Unsurprisingly, 
Patrizia showed up in style, wearing a slinky red dress. It must have been her lucky color because she quickly caught the attention of Maurizio Gucci. The 22-year-old was the grandson of Guccio Gucci, the creator of one of the most renowned leather goods brands in the world. Like Patrizia's mother, Guccio had started from the bottom as a lowly dishwasher. He moved up the ranks and landed a job at the swanky Savoy Hotel in London. And it was there Guccio found a solution to a very first-world problem. See, wealthy people had a lot of nice things, and those nice things needed to be carried in something equally expensive. So, in 1921, he began making top-of-the-line suitcases and bags. What started as a single bodega in Florence blossomed into a highly profitable and well-respected company. And as Maurizio was next in line to inherit the largest share of the family-run empire, he was everything Patrizia wanted in a man. But they couldn't have been more different. He was tall, she was pint-sized. He was quiet and reserved, she was flashy and provocative. He was obedient, she was controlling. But all Maurizio saw were stars. Later that night, he mustered up the courage to make a move. He approached Patrizia and asked, has anyone ever told you you look just like Elizabeth Taylor? As far as opening gambits go, it wasn't bad. But Patrizia wasn't easily impressed. She simply retorted, I can assure you, I am much better. Maurizio was instantly hooked. As the story goes, he knew right then and there that Patrizia was the one. Soon after this encounter, he asked her out on a real date. He took her to one of his favorite restaurants. There he asked, what do you say to becoming Patrizia Gucci? She didn't take the proposal seriously, but the two continued to go out. Much to the displeasure of Maurizio's father, 58-year-old Rodolfo Gucci, ever since the death of his wife Alessandra, Rodolfo had become an overprotective and over-controlling parent. He dictated almost every aspect of Maurizio's life, including his finances. Although Maurizio was a descendant of the House of Gucci, he wasn't given access to any of the accounts. He was often short on cash and relied on his trusted driver for last-second loans. Rodolfo also filtered the kinds of people Maurizio associated with, especially when it came to women. While Maurizio was still in law school, Rodolfo told his son, You are a Gucci. You are different from the rest. There are a lot of women who would like to get their claws into you and your fortune. But Rodolfo's warning fell on deaf ears. By 1971, Patrizia's claws were sunk deep into Maurizio. Of course, Rodolfo wouldn't go out without a fight. He wanted his son to marry a woman from a good family. And, well, like we've discussed, no one saw Patrizia as a high-society woman. Rodolfo was so against their courtship that he even got into a heated argument with Patrizia's stepfather. At some point, he sternly told Fernando to keep his daughter away from his son. As far as Rodolfo was concerned, Patrizia was nothing but a gold-digging tramp. And with that, the feud was on. The House of Rajani took up arms against the House of Gucci and... 
Okay, okay, so their story wasn't exactly a Shakespearean tragedy, but things, well, they got pretty intense. Rodolfo gave Maurizio a dire ultimatum. He had to choose between his family and his one true love. Much to Patrizia's delight, he chose the latter. In response, Rodolfo disinherited Maurizio, cutting him off from the entire Gucci fortune, as well as any hope of taking over the luxury brand. Maurizio was understandably devastated. He'd been groomed to take over the family business, and now he was a nobody. Patrizia, on the other hand, kept her cool. Fortune or not, a Gucci was still a Gucci. Besides, she knew she could turn Maurizio's future prospects around with a little elbow grease. So Patrizia rolled up her sleeves, clipped back her hair, and got to work. Or at least she helped Maurizio get to work. With her stepfather's blessing, Maurizio moved into the Rajani home and began working for Fernando's trucking company. With Rodolfo no longer breathing down his neck, Maurizio grew in experience and, most importantly, self-confidence. At the ripe age of 23, he was finally becoming his own man, and it was all thanks to Patrizia. She was the one who'd believed in him and who stood by his side when he had nothing but a fancy last name. Now, she was the one he was going to marry. So on October 28th, 500 guests filed into the breathtaking Santa Maria della Pace to watch Patrizia and Maurizio exchange their vows. And thanks to Patrizia's stepfather, their nuptials were nothing short of extravagant. Patrizia arrived in a chauffeured Rolls Royce wearing an elegant long-sleeved dress. Maurizio looked dapper in a long-tailed suit jacket and pinstripe pants. Needless to say, it was the hottest ticket in the city. Everyone who was anyone was there. At least everyone except Maurizio's family members. Rodolfo had made things very clear to his family. By marrying Patrizia, Maurizio was a pariah. It weighed heavily on him, but his new wife reassured him that even the worst family fractures have a way of healing themselves. Besides, now that Patrizia had the Gucci name, it was only a matter of time before she reaped the rewards of high society life. Coming up, a curse falls upon the house of Gucci. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. In films like Pirates of the Caribbean, they're portrayed as swaggering anti-heroes. In books like Treasure Island, they're fearsome villains. But who were they really? That's the question that Real Pirates, the new Spotify original from Parcast, answers. The whole thing about a pirate ship is that they were heavily manned. But you could have 100 pirates on board, so these are floating violence factories. At the same time, pirates were really fascinating characters, in a way. If you were born poor, you stayed poor. Pirates, on the other hand, they were able to transcend that social boundary. They didn't see themselves just as thieves and brigands. They saw themselves as social revolutionaries. Set sail under the black flag alongside notorious outlaws like Blackbeard, Charles Vane, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting November 15th. Follow and listen to Real Pirates for free on Spotify. Now, back to the story. 
You can't accuse Patrizia Reggiani of taking her problems lying down. She'd won the battle and married Maurizio in 1972. Now she was ready to win the war and claim her rightful place in the house of Gucci. At some point, she got in touch with Maurizio's uncle, Aldo Gucci. Aldo was Rodolfo's older brother and he ran half of the family empire. You see, when Patriarch Guccio Gucci passed away, he split his company amongst his sons. As Aldo and Rodolfo were the last male heirs, they were the real decision makers. For the most part, the brothers had a fairly decent working relationship. Aldo ran Gucci America in New York City with a focus on expansion. Meanwhile, Rodolfo remained in Italy, managing Guccio Gucci and overseeing production. Rodolfo was a no-nonsense type of man who was more introverted. Aldo, on the other hand, was boisterous and forward-thinking. Aldo could see years ahead of Rodolfo. More specifically, he knew the Guccis needed Maurizio on their payroll. Out of the next generation of male heirs, namely Aldo's three sons, Maurizio was the only one they could trust. So Aldo and Patrizia hatched a plan to get Maurizio back in Rodolfo's good graces and back into the family business. We don't know the specifics of what was said, but Aldo made several cases for Patrizia. Before she came along, Maurizio was meek and quiet. Now everyone could see he had a new passion for life. Not only that, he was successfully wearing multiple hats at Fernando's trunking company while also juggling law school. Patrizio wasn't a gold digger, Aldo explained. She was a kingmaker, someone the family could learn to love and trust. In 1973, it seems Rodolfo finally felt the same way. After two years of silence, he met with Maurizio. But this wasn't the emotional homecoming either man may have longed for. For starters, Maurizio didn't apologize for going against his father's wishes and Rodolfo didn't eat his words for questioning Maurizio's marital choices. Instead, father and son acted as if the years of separation had never even happened. However, Rodolfo did give Maurizio a nice welcome back gift. He offered him a position in the New York office working beside his uncle, Aldo. Within weeks, Maurizio and Patrizia set off for the Big Apple, and while Rodolfo still wasn't 100% sold on Patrizia, there wasn't much else he could do. To love Maurizio was to love Patrizia. And to love Patrizia meant cutting a lot of checks. At Patrizia's request, Rodolfo bought the couple a belated wedding gift, a flashy two-story penthouse overlooking Fifth Avenue. With this prime address, everyone came knocking on their door. Almost overnight, Patrizia and Maurizio became jet-setting socialites, rubbing shoulders with some of the richest and most famous faces in the world. They were regulars at trendy nightclubs, partying with the hottest fashion designers, models, and even the Kennedys. Of course, even amongst the creme de la creme, Patrizia made sure that everyone knew that she was the Lady Gucci. In addition to wearing the finest clothes and accessories, she traveled the streets of Manhattan in a chauffeured car. Patrizia was finally living the life she'd always dreamed of. Only it was even better than she could have imagined. In addition to the famous last name, she had the celebrity and glitzy address to go with it. 
But you know what they say, be careful what you wish for, because sometimes fulfilling your dreams comes at a price. In 1981, Patrizia and Maurizio welcomed their second baby girl. To celebrate the occasion, Maurizio purchased a 200-foot-long sailboat called the Creole for the discounted price of around $1 million. Why was it discounted? Well, people said the boat was cursed. The first and second wives of a previous owner took their own lives aboard the ship. Patrizia and Maurizio were both superstitious and didn't want a dark cloud looming over them, so they consulted with a psychic and had the boat exercised. Unfortunately, the psychic didn't clean ship. Soon after this, bad luck didn't just cling to Patrizia and Maurizio. It clung to all the Gucci family members. In 1982, Rodolfo's health deteriorated. He was suffering from prostate cancer and the prognosis was grim. That same year, Patrizia, Maurizio, and their girls relocated to Italy to be by his side. Despite proving herself as a devoted wife and mother, Rodolfo never really warmed up to Patrizia. But in the last months of his life, he offered Patrizia a parting gift. He gave her a warning. He said, quote, once Maurizio gets money and power, he will change. You will find you are married to another man. Then in May of 1983, 70-year-old Rodolfo closed his eyes for the very last time. But as the house of Gucci mourned the loss of the industry giant, 34-year-old Patrizia was excited for the future ahead. Ominous warning aside, her 35-year-old husband had just inherited 50% of the Gucci empire, as well as all of Rodolfo's estate, which was valued around $230 million. In Patrizia's mind, part of that inheritance was hers. And with Maurizio as the new head of Gucci, she assumed she'd also have a larger role in the company. She started spending more time in the Gucci offices, often taking over meetings and interjecting her opinions. None of which was surprising. For years, Patrizia had managed every aspect of Maurizio's life. She'd been his lover, his wife, the mother of his children, and his greatest advisor. That said, she was able to score some real perks of being Maurizio's right-hand woman. In the 1980s, she was even allowed to design a line of flashy jewelry for the brand. Unfortunately, Maurizio wasn't having as much fun as his wife. As the largest shareholder of the family business, he had a lot on his shoulders. And he saw the winds were shifting. To stay afloat in a sea of luxury goods, the Gucci's needed to modernize. They needed a new direction. Of course, this was easier said than done, and the rest of the family wasn't on board. For decades, Gucci had been a family-operated business with a strict business model. It had made them all an insane amount of money. It didn't make sense to change the game plan, especially when that plan was coming from the young and hungry Maurizio. But that black cloud of bad luck came calling once again. I won't go into the specifics of what happened next, but the history of the Gucci family is wild. Basically, several Guccis were investigated for tax evasion. Some were even jailed. Throughout all of this, there was nonstop infighting. According to former employees, 
family members would not only hurl their prized Gucci bags at each other, they'd throw them out the window and onto the lawn. All his life, Maurizio had played the easygoing nice guy, acquiescing to his father and his wife. But now as he stood at the helm of the Gucci ship, he realized that he didn't have to do any more of that. In fact, he could do just about anything he wanted. And the sudden influx of money only helped boost his confidence. With his father out of the picture, Maurizio began living even larger than before, blowing through his fortune, scooping up luxurious properties and traveling. Rodolfo had been right. Maurizio was changing before everyone's eyes. According to a 2021 study published by the American Psychological Association, there's a direct correlation between income and self-regard emotions. In an interview with the APA, lead researcher Dr. Eddie M. W. Tong explained, the effects of income on our emotional well-being should not be underestimated. Having more money can inspire confidence and determination, while earning less is associated with gloom and anxiety. All that power and all that money made Maurizio feel invincible. But soon, that confidence turned into arrogance. He began undermining his uncle Aldo, as well as other family members, including Patrizia. While she'd certainly made a king out of Maurizio, it seems he forgot about all her efforts. Patrizia had once been his rock, now she was just a nuisance. As a result, he started spending less and less time with his wife. In fact, he started to avoid her altogether. By 1985, he wanted nothing to do with her. On May 22nd, he told Patrizia he was going on a quick trip to Florence. Two days later, Patrizia received the biggest surprise of her life. A mutual friend stopped by the family home and told Patrizia, quote, Maurizio isn't coming back. He wants you to prepare a couple of bags with his clothing and he will send a driver to pick it up. His decision is final. To say Patrizia was devastated is the understatement of the century. She reportedly even contemplated taking her own life, but as the mother of two young girls, she had to be strong. She had to make peace. But the hits kept coming. In 1991, Maurizio asked for a divorce. Shortly after, Patrizia started having dizzy spells. When she saw a doctor about it, they discovered she had a life-threatening brain tumor. She needed emergency surgery. Patrizia was terrified that this was the end, but there was one silver lining. She hoped that her diagnosis would stir Maurizio's heart and bring him back to her. Unfortunately, later that month, when Patrizia awoke from her operation, Maurizio was nowhere to be found. In his place, he sent her some flowers. The following month, as Patrizia mulled over what had happened in her diary, she scribbled the word vendetta across a page. You see, the surgery had cleared up more than just a tumor. It had cleared her perspective. Maurizio had not only been the cause of all her pain and heartache, he'd been the reason for her illness. And for that, she was going to make him pay. Coming up, Patrizia demands revenge. Now, back to our story. 
In May of 1992, 43-year-old Patrizia Rajani was given a new lease on life. She was cancer-free and she knew exactly how she was going to spend the rest of her years, making Maurizio Gucci's life a living hell. And she wasn't the only one who felt this way. Around the same time, Maurizio staged a coup and bought out his family's shares. This made him the one and only Gucci to run the company. Unfortunately, Maurizio wasn't fully prepared to take the lead. Thanks to a series of bad decisions and mounting debts, he was forced to later sell his shares to a private equity firm. For the first time ever, the world-renowned luxury brand was no longer run by an actual Gucci. The entire family, along with Patrizia, was apoplectic. Not only had Maurizio pushed them out of the business, he'd led the company astray. Everyone closest to Maurizio seemed to hate him. Well, not everyone. Maurizio had the love and support of interior designer Paola Franchi. The two had known each other as teenagers and then crossed paths again at a nightclub back in 1990 and fell madly in love. Maurizio was so head over heels for her. In 1994, he even moved Paola and her son from a previous marriage into a newly renovated villa on Corso Venezia, one of Milan's most glamorous streets. Now, accounts vary on whether or not Maurizio actually wanted to make Paola the next Lady Gucci, but that's what everyone was saying he wanted. When Patrizia heard the news, she was destroyed, but there wasn't much she could do. By then, they were officially divorced and Maurizio was free to do whatever he wanted. And it seemed he wanted to make Patrizia suffer too. Soon after their divorce, he tried to take full custody of both their daughters. He also told Patrizia to stop using the last name Gucci. Sure, she'd ended up with a healthy divorce settlement, nearly 1.1 million Swiss francs a year, but it seemed like Maurizio really knew how to make it hurt. He wanted to take the one thing she'd ever truly wanted. Once again, Patrizia's hurt ballooned into anger. And soon, all she could talk about was wanting Maurizio dead. She asked everyone from her butcher to her lawyers to make it happen. Of course, this was to be expected of Patrizia. She was a passionate spitfire who wasn't afraid to say what was on her mind. Everyone assumed that it was all talk. Everyone except her best friend, Pina Oriema. The women had been glued to the hip since the late 70s, so she'd seen this saga play out from the very beginning and was firmly Team Patrizia. That being said, she wasn't above making a few bucks off of her wealthy friend's misery. Before we continue with what happened next, it's important to note that Patrizia Rajani maintains her innocence to this day. The following is based on court records and witness testimony. As far as we can tell, Pina was convinced that Patrizia was out for blood. After hours and weeks and months of listening to Patrizia ramble on and on about Maurizio, Pina proposed a solution. She knew a guy who could make things happen. Unfortunately, the guy, 39-year-old Ivano Savioni, wasn't a hitman. He was a hotel doorman, 
Pina just wanted Patrizia to think he was a criminal. They'd take the money, but the hit was never going to take place. And Patrizia fell for it. With full confidence, she gave Pina 150 million lire as a down payment. Then Patrizia waited for her ex-husband to die. Only he didn't. Pina just kept coming up with excuses. Meanwhile, Maurizio was on cloud nine, jet-setting across the world with his beautiful girlfriend, Paola. Believing it was only a matter of time before the two walked down the aisle, Patrizia got desperate. Instead of going through Pina, Patrizia met with Ivano on her own. Now again, Patrizia contests that this ever happened, but we'll continue with what we know based on witness testimony. At some point, Patrizia scooped Ivano up in a chauffeured car, brought him a cashmere sweater, then pushed him to keep his end of the deal. If he did, she promised to pay him handsomely. This apparently lit a fire under Ivano. Soon after, he went through his Rolodex of friends and reached out to 56-year-old Orazio Cicala. Just like Ivano, Orazio wasn't a cold-blooded killer, but thanks to his penchant for gambling, he had some contacts in the criminal underworld. The men brought 33-year-old Benedetto Cirallo into the mix, and by the spring of 1995, the stage was set and the main players were cast. It was now or never. On the morning of March 27, 1995, 47-year-old Maurizio made his regular trek from his home to his private office along Via Balestra. He was greeted by the doorman, 51-year-old Giuseppe Onorato. Moments later, Benedetto arrived from behind, then fired three shots at Maurizio. One bullet entered the mogul's hip, another his shoulder, and finally, one went straight into his head. As Giuseppe moved towards Maurizio, Benedetto fired off two more shots, this time aiming for the doorman. Then he climbed into a green getaway car and sped off. Giuseppe turned to check on Maurizio and his heart sank. It was clear as day, Maurizio Gucci was dead. When Patrizia heard the news, she was a mess of emotions. At first, she shed a flood of tears. While she hated Maurizio for everything he'd done to her, he was her one true love. His death signaled an end of an era. But it also meant that everything that was once his passed on to their two daughters. With that certainty, she wiped her tears dry and steeled her resolve. Then, just a few short hours later, Patrizia went down to Maurizio's villa. She demanded that Paola pack up and leave the building at once. The message was crystal clear. No one could ever strip Patrizia of her rightful title. Now and forevermore, she'd be Lady Gucci. And to be Lady Gucci meant playing the part of a grieving widow. Days later, Patrizia was in the front row at Maurizio's funeral. But while the world gave their condolences, investigators were hard at work. They wanted to find the people responsible for his death. Unfortunately, Maurizio had a lot of enemies. After buying out his family members and then selling his shares to a private equity firm, many of his cousins had written Maurizio off. 
In fact, many hated him. Authorities briefly entertained the theory that Maurizio may have been taken out by the mafia. There was a rumor that he planned to invest in overseas casinos. Maybe Maurizio had made some shady business deals with the wrong kind of people. But no matter how far they dug, it seemed that Maurizio lived a straight and narrow life. Sure, he'd amassed some enemies along the way, but that was to be expected of such a successful man. And so two years flew by and police were nowhere closer to catching the killer. Then, in January 1997, the head of police got a case-breaking call. Again, we won't go into the nitty-gritty of what happened next, but here are the broad strokes. A man named Gabriele Carpinese told authorities that he knew someone who'd helped orchestrate Maurizio's murder. What's more, he knew who planned the hit to begin with. Apparently, Patrizia had reneged on payment after the hit was carried out. So Ivano, Benedetto, Orazio, and Pina were pissed. Once again, Ivano went through his Rolodex of friends looking for help to make Patrizia pay. Which is how he got connected with Gabriele. But instead of muscling Patrizia, Gabriele went to the cops and filled them in. Then they hatched a plan. Police bugged Ivano's car with microphones. Soon after, Ivano and Pina met up. The two talked about Patrizia, the murder, and the police investigation. They were stressed, they were scared, but mostly they were annoyed with Patrizia. Needless to say, the transcripts were damning. On the morning of January 31, 1997, 48-year-old Patrizia was arrested. In typical Lady Gucci fashion, she refused to leave her house without looking her best. But when she adorned herself with more jewels and tossed on a fur coat, investigators warned her to leave them behind. She wouldn't be needing them where she was going. Her trial began the following spring. Despite the mountain of evidence against her, she maintained her innocence. Sure, she had mentioned to a few people that she wanted Maurizio dead, but it was all talk. She didn't expect anyone to ever take her seriously. According to Patrizia, Pina had Maurizio killed so that she could blackmail Patrizia for money. If Patrizia didn't pay, she even threatened to take out her two daughters. She wasn't a murderer. She was a woman afraid for her life and the lives of her loved ones. But as colorful as Patrizia's version of events was, no one believed her. In November of 1998, she was found guilty for arranging the murder of her ex-husband and was sentenced to 29 years behind bars. And the rest of the crew joined her there. The shooter, Benedetto Chiralo, got 28 years. The getaway driver, Orazio Cicala, received a 26-year sentence. The doorman, Ivano Savioni, got 20. Finally, Pina Oriema was sentenced to 19 years in jail. Interestingly, Pina and Patrizia were held in the same San Vittore prison, but their experiences couldn't have been more different. Thanks to her connections and considerable wealth, Patrizia made a very comfortable life for herself. While many inmates spent their time in the courtyard working out, Patrizia lounged on a towel and basked in the sun. 
Patrizia even had her own hairdresser, surgeon, and dentist make prison calls. In 2004, Patrizia's daughters petitioned for their mother's retrial. While they didn't challenge whether or not she was involved in the murder, they argued that Patrizia wasn't, quote, in command of her mental faculties when she handed Pina the large stack of cash. They believe this lapse in judgment was a result of her brain tumor and brain surgery. As wild as this may sound, Patrizia's daughters may have been onto something. According to the Moffitt Cancer Center, brain tumors can disturb the pituitary gland and cause drastic personality changes. Oftentimes, someone with a brain tumor will have difficulty relating to other people. For example, brain tumor patients may have trouble identifying emotions in other people as well as in themselves. Individuals with a brain tumor may also start behaving in a way that is socially or culturally inappropriate, as if they've lost their inhibitions or sense of restraint. Patrizia's legal team argued that her brain failed to signal a warning when Pina allegedly threatened to hurt the surviving Gucci's. Instead of going the logical route and alerting police of Pina's alleged crime, she decided to stay silent and pay the hush money. Despite all the evidence they submitted, the request was denied. Patrizia would remain exactly where she was. Then in 2011, after about 13 years behind bars, Patrizia was offered an early release on the stipulation that she worked. To everyone's surprise, Patrizia declined, saying, I've never worked in my life and I don't intend to start now. Three years later, Patrizia was given an offer she couldn't refuse. If she worked at a local jewelry firm, she'd be released on probation. This time, she leapt at the opportunity. At 65, Patrizia finally got a chance to do something Maurizio never let her do lead and advise a fashion brand. Three years after that, in 2017, Patrizia's probation ended and she was released. As far as we know, she's back on the fabulous streets of Milan, still known to all as Lady Gucci. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. Thanks for listening to Crimes of Passion. For more information on Patrizia Rajani Gucci, we found Sarah Gay Forden's The House of Gucci, People Magazine's The Crimes of Fashion, and Lady Gucci, the story of Patrizia Rajani, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals, Crimes of Passion, and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals and Crimes of Passion are Spotify originals from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Alex Button, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode was written by Jane O, with writing assistance by Joel Callen. Fact-checking by Haley Milligan and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. This episode stars Vanessa Richardson and Lainey Hobbs. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie. Who were they really? Real Pirates is a new Spotify original from Parcast. Join us starting November 15th as we bring the true story of pirates to life.